Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. The past two years, the world has turned upside down. That's an understatement, isn't it? A good example of that is the 2020 Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics, were not held in 2020. We all know that. They were held in Tokyo, but it was in July and August of 2021. A huge audience, a great cloud of witnesses observed those Olympics. They estimate that about 3,050,000 people watched it, That's a, or 500,000 people watched it. That's amazing. Almost 12,000 athletes from over 200 nation groups, either nations or national committees, competed. And the United States did well again. They led with a medal count of 113, with China and Japan right behind them. They got 39 gold medals. I think China got 38. Track and field, they did pretty well. 26 medals, seven gold, 12 silver, seven bronze. But the four by 100 meter relay didn't do so well. Some of you watched it. And it's the team, and not just that team, but over the past few years has come under severe criticism by athletic leaders in our nation. You see, this past year, they didn't even make it to the finals. They were sixth in their heat, and they, were, they, they, they didn't qualify to make the final round with three of the fastest men in the world on the team. Well, what was the problem? There was a botched relay between the second and the third legs. In fact, you know, though America has almost owned that event since the beginning of the Olympics, 15 gold medals and two silver medals, they have more medals than all the other nations combined in the history of modern Olympics in that event. But there's a 12-inch problem. Over the past four Olympics, the United States has not medaled in the four by 100 meter. It's a 12-inch problem. That's three-tenths of 1% of the distance of the 100-meter race. What is the 12-inch problem? It's the baton. It's the baton. In 2016, there was an exchange violation, and it disqualified the team, and they didn't medal. In 2008, they dropped the baton. And in 2004, they got the silver, but they should have gotten the gold. They bobbled the baton, and Britain beat them by a hair. You know, that reminds us uh, that uh, the scripture tells us the race is not always to the what? It's not always to the swift. It's to whom? It's to those who are prepared, who are disciplined, and who patiently make it to the end. And this morning, we're looking at a passage that deals with a race, something like a relay race out of Hebrews. And the whole book of Hebrews is something like that. There's an analogy that runs through the book of Hebrews. 
the passing of the baton from the old to the new. The first four chapters of Hebrews, it's about the new Lord, that is Christ, who's superior in his person to all the prophets and angels and to Moses and all of the old covenant leadership. The next few chapters, chapters 4 through 10, it's about the superiority of Christ's new work. It is superior to the old priesthood, to the old covenant, to the old temple, and to the old sacrificial system. And the passage that we look at today comes in the last section of Hebrews, chapters 10 through 13, where we are encouraged then in this new and living way to first hold on firmly to our faith. It begins about chapter 10 and runs through chapter 11 through the roll call of faith. And then chapter 12 tells us that we need to endure. It's not just about speed, but we need to endure in the race. And the final chapter closes with telling us how to finish obediently in love. The context of the passage today, chapter 12, begins in chapter 11, of course. Sixteen persons by name are identified as Old Testament, Old Covenant saints from Abel to David, including Samuel and everyone in between of note, and then countless others, prophets and unnamed persons as well, who endured, many of them, persecution. They're Old Covenant witnesses who endured in faith. They died, the scripture tells us, in the faith. And they gained approval by God because of their faith. Their faith was not complete. It had not been completed. We see at the end of chapter 11. Because they did not receive the promise in their own day and time. And it closes by telling us that they would not be made perfect without us. The old covenant saints would not be made perfect if it weren't like we are made perfect, and that is in Jesus Christ. And it brings us then to chapter 12, where we are told about this race that we are to run. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Today, this passage reminds us that it is good for us to remember the great cloud of witnesses. It is good for us to remember those who have gone before us and have witnessed in the past. And as a result of that, they have given us a baton. The baton has been passed on to us, and we are to take it up and to run with endurance. And finally, of course, we do so by keeping our eyes focused on the end of the race, on the goal, and that is on Jesus Christ himself. We do need to remember those that have gone before us. There is a great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. Where are they? Well, they're in heaven. Some would suggest they're somewhere in between, maybe purgatory. That is not scriptural. It is found, it's alluded to in the Apocrypha, but it is not scriptural. 
They are not sleeping in some kind of unconscious state in the ground or somewhere. That is not what it means when it says that we have rest in the Lord. No, we know that they are with the Lord because Paul tells the Corinthians that to be absent from the body, to depart from the body, is to be where? It is to be with the Lord. What are they doing? This cloud of witnesses that has gone on before us. Well, you know, the Bible is remarkably silent about that. Uh, we can speculate about it, but we have to be very careful there. We know a few things the Bible tells us that they will do and that we will do when we then arrive at our heavenly home. Hebrews 4 says that there is a rest for the people of God. We enter the rest of the Lord. Okay? Yet at the same time, the, at the very end of Scripture, Revelation 22 says that we will serve. We will be active. We will serve and we will reign eternally. I don't know how you reconcile those two together. We could speculate. We might say that, well, we will enter heaven and we will rest until the Lord returns and we come back with him. Or if we are here when he comes back and he receives us and then we enter our service, that may be it. Or it may be that, in fact, the moment we enter glory, we begin serving him and praising him, and we are not just at rest, but there is a return of the sabbatic rest of the Lord to the people of God. You see, we labor and we toil endlessly, and that it is a burden here on this earth for us to work. But there, there is the sabbatic rest of God. There is the balance of the divine rest of God. As we serve him, we will be resting in him. I don't know how you explain those two passages together. What I do know is we will be with the Lord. So it raises this question. Are these folks that are spoken about here in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, spectators? Are they watching? What are they doing in heaven well, I don't see any biblical evidence anywhere else, any other evidence in Scripture that they, are, that they are sitting on a cloud up there peering over and watching everything that we're doing. As a matter of fact, I don't think that's what's happening. You know, only rarely does the Bible mention anything about those who have departed having anything to do with those of us who are still here. 1 Samuel 28 is one of those passages. You know, Saul is disobedient and he goes to the witches and he conjures up then the spirit of Samuel and God lets Saul speak to Samuel. <laughs> and what does Samuel say? The first thing he says is, why have you disturbed me? <laughs> that suggests to me that maybe this isn't something that uh, is within the Lord's will. Uh, the parable that Jesus speaks, speaks about, uh, Dives, that is the rich man and Lazarus, some would say, well, there, you see, Dives sees what's going on on the earth, and, and he's somehow engaging and trying to be active in what's going on the earth, and, and Lazarus sees what's going on the earth. Well, we don't have any indication that they see what's going on on the earth. All we know is that Dives knows his plight, the rich man knows his plight, and he beseeches Abraham, and there is a communication there. Now, that's a parable. If it's an, a parable based on fact, that, mm, there may have been communication between the rich man and Abraham. And then, of course, the other event is the transfiguration. Transfiguration, there are three on the mountain with the disciples. There is Jesus, and there is who else? Or there are who else? Moses and Elijah. 
And of course they do speak to Jesus. But these are very rare instances. I don't see any indication in scripture that those that have departed are watching what we're doing. I think they're busy doing other things. When, I, when it speaks about a witness here, I think it, it means something else. It's referring back to those in chapter 11 who have witnessed to their faith and they have testified to the Lord's faithfulness. When you look at that word for witness, martus, it has different meanings. It can mean that in a historical sense that people have been spectators. And indeed, we know that that is true. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 24, uh, you are witnesses of these things. In other words, you have seen what has happened. You have seen me. I am the resurrected Lord. You have witnessed it. And then he says to his apostles later in Acts, the first chapter, he says that you will be my witnesses. The witness also can, can mean a, a kind of a, a, a have a legal meaning to it, to give court testimony. Jesus told his disciples, you will stand before governors and kings and give testimony for me. And we have that responsibility as well to give that kind of testimony. A witness can also mean something of a prophetic sense, to proclaim the truth. Jesus commissioned his disciples in Acts 1 and, of course, Matthew 28. He says that we are to go and to do what? To make disciples. We are to be witnesses in that respect. But the word martus, of course, is the root word for martyr. And another meaning for witnesses, those that have endured affliction and suffering and have been faithful in their obedience in the face of opposition. And many of those that are in chapter 11 are like that. They are martyrs, literally. Some sawn in two. They have suffered many ways, and they're, they're witnesses and they're martyrs in that way. What we do know is when it speaks about witnesses in this passage, it's talking about those who have believed and in the Old Testament, even when they did not see the end of their belief, they had faith. And they obeyed, not just by believing and not just by speaking, but by putting their lives on the line. And they persevered. They persevered to the end. They died in their faith, even though they did not realize the promise at that moment. You know, the Bible, I think by analogy, suggests that we ought to remember not just those witnesses, but the other witnesses that have gone before us that we have known, those that have passed on recently. By analogy, Solomon tells us in Proverbs, the memory of the righteous is blessed. The psalmist tells us the righteous will be remembered forever, and not just those in Hebrews 11. Revelation 14 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. You see, the baton has been passed. And our roll call of faith at Gamble Street Baptist Church, there were, according to my count, nine past members who went to glory this past year. In December, Claudia Roper. Former member, Margaret Fight, the 24th of December last year. Carol Campbell, a former member, Saturday, December the 26th. Jay Teeter, Friday, the 11th of January. From Henesis, Salvador Cardosa on the 30th of January on Wednesday. On Friday, the 30th of April, Jerry Vesper. 
On Saturday, the 15th of May, Harold Christenberry. Thursday, the 12th of August, Wes Neal. To be followed in October, on Friday the 8th, by his wife, Mary Neal. That fills up two pews in this congregation. Family members, in December of 2020, just a year ago, Rebecca, Ophelia Martinez's sister from Henesis, Eladio Velacortes Jr., Charlene Kurtz's father, who was a church planter in the Philippines, Ray Shagula, Ken Barnes' cousin. In January, Reva Teeter, Jay Teeter's wife, Edna Geneva Culpepper, Sammy Carby's grandmother. In February, Ruby Feeler, the mother-in-law of Lyndall and Lenora Anderson's son, John. Janie Shagula, Ken Barnes' cousin. Brent Johnson, Jay Key's cousin. Barbara Sue Whaley Hickson, Norma Hickson's sister-in-law. And Annie Hooker, the wife of Scott Hooker's brother Steve. In the month of March, Ann Thomas, the mother of Laverne Fletcher's son-in-law, Joe. In April, Rebecca Barham, mother-in-law of David Dodson's brother Russell. Delton Varna, husband of Gloria Wilson's sister Violet. Pam Potter, Norma Hickson's cousin. Cressiana Federugua, Lilani Broadwater's aunt. In May, John Pointer, Jennifer Johnson's uncle. Gail Cavender, Norma Hickson's cousin. Catalina Quispe, the mother of Eliana Berardi from Genesis. In June, Delora J. Hanley, Lenora Anderson's twin sister. In July, Carol Smith, Carrie Smith's mother and Wes and Mary Neal's daughter. Patty Brown, Cindy Olson's cousin. Richard Whitaker in August, Cindy Olson's cousin. Also in August, Mario Fundal, Lilani Broadwater's brother. Owen Vera, Leo Cardia Chatsama's brother-in-law. Beverly Roberts, George Thompson's sister. In September, Reed Hickson, Norma Hickson's nephew. Leonard Hurd, father-in-law of Gail Shipley's sister, Ann Hurd. Tana Stopp, the wife of Virginia Cross's brother, whose pastor, David Stopp. Joe and Eva Medina. Eva was niece of Marcos Ureste at Genesis. In October, Juana Sayens, the sister of Rosa Maria Diaz at Genesis. And in November, David Nutt, Janice Watkins' brother. Charlene Walker, Larry Parker's aunt. Wayne Glazner, Clyde Glazner's brother. Helen Anita Slayton, Chelsea McReynolds' grandmother. Brian Merritt, Dwayne Merritt's nephew. Hilda Kowser, Naomi Key's mother. Michael Morris, Peggy Smith's cousin. And in December, recently, Soledad Nunez, the mother of Jose Contreras at Genesis. But a great cloud of witnesses. That takes up another six rows here in the middle of this sanctuary. We need to remember them. We need to remember them for their lives of service and faithfulness to the Lord and those that have followed him 
into eternity. We also take up the baton at the end of verse number one. We, we, you know, obeying God is sort of like running a relay race. There are many biblical examples of this in 1 Corinthians 9th chapter. Paul says that we're to run with discipline in order to do what? The objective is to win the race. In Philippians 2, we're to do all things in a way that we don't run in vain. In Philippians 3, we press on to the mark for the prize of the high calling. Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul reminds Timothy that he has fought the good fight and he has what? He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. You see, this is a test of personal endurance in running this race. Each one of us has been charged to run the race that God has given us. Each one of those races is unique and yet it's part of a community race as well. You know, in the Greek games, some races were not competition against other people. Some races were a person was set to race against a time or a distance, against a standard, and they were to see how well they could do to prove their stamina and their endurance and their speed. And in that respect, the race is the same for us. It's not a competition against other people. It's the race that God has laid out for you and you and you and for me. But in another sense, it's, it's a kind of community race, isn't it? It is sort of like a, a relay race, a community endeavor where we take up the baton. We do that to prove individually in that race our personal commitment and obedience to Christ to help keep the team on course. We do it to finish the work of the one that has passed the baton to us. The previous generation has passed the baton to us, and we have that responsibility. We do it because we're team members. We do it as a part of the church of Jesus Christ, as a part of the body of Christ, to show that we are part of the team and we are not about to let the team down. We do it to extend the kingdom of God, to take the baton from the last generation and to extend the habitation of his tent, to strengthen the stakes and to lengthen the cords of God's kingdom. And we also do it so that we not, might take the baton and there will come a day when you and I pass it on to the next generation so that they can, to switch metaphors, stand on our shoulders and they can do even greater works than we. It is a kind of relay race and we must prepare to do our best. Lay aside every encumbrance. It literally means to cast off every weight. In the Greek games, they would take off almost all of their clothing and in some races, all of their clothing because it was an encumbrance. It weighed them down. It reminds us that we have personal impediments as we run the race. Sometimes the world becomes a distraction. Now, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. And we need to be mindful of worldly distractions that become impediments. Those things that as we're running down the path that God has called us, and there is a divergence of the paths. There is one that is the world's way, and there is one that is the Lord's way. And you cannot run both paths. And some people try to do that. We need to lay that aside and stay on the right path. Sometimes the impediments are individual problems. We prayed a few moments ago about some of the problems that we have in our own midst. Each one of us has, each one of us has our own problem. Sometimes it may be a physical problem. Or it might be emotional. Some this morning may be suffering with depression. Some may have early onset dementia. 
Some may have some problems that limit them in one way or another. Some have financial problems. Some have relational problems, families that are on the verge of breaking up. These are things that discourage us. And we don't ignore them. They are there. But we come to the one that tells us that when we are weary and heavy laden, we can lay our burden on him. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden the physical problems go away. It doesn't mean that the cloud of depression instantly dissipates. It doesn't reverse Alzheimer's. But it does remind me that God still calls us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves to continue running the race. You see, we we run it with the Lord. He knows our limitations, and he may run with us, or he may walk with us, but he still calls us to walk the race. You see, we're not disqualified. We're not disqualified simply because we have maybe depression or because we have a physical problem or because we have got a bad report from the doctor. The Lord understands, and he walks with us through that race, and he helps us do our part in the kingdom of God, whatever it is. You see, God can help us overcome those impediments and run or walk the race within the limits that he has set for us. There's the church. The church runs the race together. We have lost nine members this past year. And I mentioned another 40 in other churches. You see, as we see membership dropping off, we need to pray that this not be an impediment for us, that the Lord will then, we pray to the Lord of the harvest, and he sends new workers for the harvest. It's a slow recovery in the pandemic as people come back to worship. We need to pray that things will not return to normal, not return to usual, but there will be a new normal and it will be better than the old normal and that God will fill his church again and that he has great things planned for Gamble Street Baptist Church, which he does in 2021. Finances, for the last three months, we have fallen a little short of the goal according to our budget. Folks, we should not let that discourage us. We come to the Lord and we ask him to supply the need And he will, not for our own purpose, but that we might accomplish the mission that he has called us to as we run the race. These things are all discouragements, but he doesn't then disqualify us from the race. What he does is he calls us prayerfully to bring those concerns to him, and he helps us then to work within the limitations that he has set for us. They're cultural limitations that we have. The pandemic has has inculcated in our society a sense of uncertainty and malaise. We need to pray that he will help lift us out of that malaise. It has also caused not just that, but social strife and division. We need to pray that that not be an impediment, that the people of God not be divided by race, by color, by creed, by gender, whatever it is, that we are together running the race and he will enable us to do so. We need to lay aside those impediments that weigh us down and the sin that so easily entangles. Literally, it says this, cast off every weight and sin. Now, it could be that's every, every weight and every sin. It could be that he's talking about many kinds of sins here. Or it could be just sin in general. Or it could be a specific sin that he's addressing here. And if it is, I think it's probably the sin of faithlessness. We need to be faithful. We need to cast aside 
that entangling sin of faithlessness. He calls us to be faithful, to run the race. That's what this whole chapter is about. And to run with endurance. The word means patience. It is not about speed. The race is not necessarily to the swift. We're told in Ecclesiastes, the battle isn't to the mighty warrior. It is the fact that time and chance overtake us all. What that means is we need to be patient to the end. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, therefore, we're told that we are to grow in confidence toward our great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We need to endure in the race. We have good examples of those. And almost every one of those examples that I mentioned, if you knew that person, you have an example that you're thinking of. But especially in our church, Harold Christenberry was married to Wanda for 64 years, faithful to her to the end and to the Lord. A deacon at Park Ridge Baptist Church for eight years, 25 years here at Gamble Street and at every other church that he was at before then. Wes Neal was married to Mary Neal for 77 years and a member of Gamble Street for 61 years. And he was a deacon most of that time. And both Harold and Wes were life deacons. Good examples of running the race of endurance to the end. We need to remember their example. At seminary, we have lost this past year several people. Not just Southwestern, but at Carroll and also taught at Baylor. Lawrence Klepnauer for 20 years was Dean of Student Affairs. Passed away this past year. Harry Hunt, 26 years. Old Testament professor at Southwestern Seminary and Carroll Institute. Mina Bickerstaff, over 25 years of service, and she retired as the director of personnel. Charles Tidwell, 30 years of teaching church administration. Hilda Moffitt, 25 years of directing the program for Southwestern and Houston and a governor at Carroll Institute. Phil Briggs, 39 years youth education professor at Midwestern and Southwestern seminaries. Jack Coldiron, voice professor for, listen to this, 60 years at Stetson University, Southwestern Seminary in Baylor. Bert Dominey, Old Testament professor for 41 years at Wayland and Southwestern in Truett. These are examples of those who endured to the end. They persevered and they gave it all for the Lord. We need to remember their example. If they did it, we can do it too. And then finally, we need to stay focused on the goal. The goal is to do what? It's to attain the prize. It's to win the race and to attain the prize. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the heavenly call of Jesus Christ, Paul tells the Philippians. We fix our eyes on whom? On Jesus Christ, because he is the author of our faith. That means he is the giver of our faith. It is not our faith, but it is a faith that he has given to us that fuels the race. He is the composer of the faith. He, the Son, and the Father compose the star song of redemption before creation. He is the object of our faith in whom we place our trust from beginning to end. He is the pioneer of the faith because he is the one that walked the whole journey through the cross and home before any of us. He's the perfecter of our faith, the victor who conquered death and finished the journey before anyone else. All of these Old Testament saints did not quite finish the, 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 uh, the race of faith, even though they died without Jesus Christ. You see, it is because of his victory that they witness today. He is the perfecter in as much as he is the guide. He leads the way. 
He leads the way through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads the way. He tells us the way, the truth, and the life. The way of the cross, the truth that sets us free, and the life that comes through His resurrection. He is the finisher. He is the first one who ever finished the race. He he sustains us to the very end. And He lifts us up when we stumble and He carries us across the finish line. And He is the goal itself. You see... It is he who is at the throne of God who sits there and awaits our coming. And when we stumble, he lifts us up. And he at the same time waits at the end to to welcome us across the finish line. In the Greek games, often the royalty would sit just on the other side of the finish line with a prize, with a wreath, or whatever it was that they gave the victor. He is waiting at the finish line to give us the prize of our victory. He grants us access to the throne of God. Through his shed blood, we are cleansed, and he has entered the holy place and cleared the way so that we have access to the throne of God itself. So we must finish the race by keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, diligently focused on him, single-mindedly, the author and the perfecter of our faith who grants us access and draw near with full assurance that we will be admitted into the presence of God. In chapter 10, we're told, let us hold fast, hold fast that baton of our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In this next year, we do need to remember and recall not just with grief and mourning, but with joy, the witness of those who have gone before us. The Holy Spirit comforts us in the loss of our loved ones and our friends and our members. They also at the same time are an encouragement for us as we remember them. We must take up their baton. I know the times are difficult. I know the pandemic is not over. I know that there are impediments that we face, but I am assured of this. The Lord has promised 2021 is going to be a glorious year in the kingdom of God for Gamble Street Baptist Church. If we will take up that baton, if we we will stay focused on Jesus Christ, and if we are prepared then to pass that baton on to the next generation of young adults that God is bringing into our midst to take up that baton, he will honor that prayer and he will honor our service and he indeed will bless not just Gamble Street, but many families in this community through us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.